Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Well, welcome to the Church Planner Podcast. I'm your host, Peyton Jones, and I do not have my co-host, Pete Mitchell, with me today. And the reason is, Pete doesn't read books. Don't judge Pete. It's not his fault. He listens to books, and I sent him a digital, audible copy of this book, but Pete wasn't having any of it. So Pete is sitting out because he says it's very boring to do a podcast with me because I hog it when it's due to a book. Because, and there's the train, like on Mr. Rogers, uh, taking us to uh, our time in another world. We are going to be in Crossway's book with Dr. Stephen Nichols' R.C. Sproul, A Life. It is a biography of R.C. Sproul that is just released. And my guest today is Dr. Stephen Nichols. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this discussion with you. Yes, me too. I, I will geek out on this book, and Pete knew this, because he knows my admiration for Dr. Sproul. Um, I told you my story, which was when I first headed out to the mission field as a young, hapless church planner, 9-11 hit, dropped my funding in half, and I ended up on an assembly line in a factory in the steelworking town of Port Talbot, Wales, sitting there listening to the tape of the month club, which had accrued in my collection. And I listened hour upon hour on 12 hour shifts until I devoured my library. And then I started ordering more and it really helped me cut my teeth. The Dr. Piper was in there. That's how I got to know John Piper. Um, they had him occasionally making cameos and uh, different conferences, other authors, but um, this really, this book needed to be written, but you knew that. Why did you write this book, R.C. Sproul, A Life. Well, I, I love church history. And ultimately, church history is biography. It's a story of people. And I think these are so helpful for the church today. You know, we need, we see it in scripture. 
Scripture gives us biographies. Think of the, the great hall of faith in Hebrews. And you, and you think of that for a moment, you know, the, the first century Christians, this was a challenging time for them. And so here's this example after example of a faithful God showing up in the lives of his people. And that's what I love about church history. And I think we need those examples. We feel the challenges of our own day, don't we? We feel you know, the difficulties of being a disciple today. So I, I just think it's wonderful to have examples of faithful disciples, and we can look to them, learn from them. And uh, plus this one in particular, we'll get into this, I'm sure. Uh, this one was just a larger than life character, R.C. Sproul. So uh, it just had to be done. <laughs> Yes. Well, tell, tell us a little bit about Dr. Sproul. For those that, uh, you know, m- might be guilty of, you know, the, the, the epigraph in the book of Judges, and then there arose a generation who knew not R.C. Sproul. I mean, a lot of, uh, for you, church planter, by the way, uh, uh, Dr. Sproul was a church planter. Like a lot of people don't realize that he planted a church from 1997. Um, how long did he do that for about 20 years or when, when did oh, he retire uh, from that church? He didn't. He did not retire. He, he was in the pulpit on a Sunday and that Saturday he went into the hospital. Wow. Um, so he was preaching right up to the last. You know, I'm so glad you picked up on that. He was a church planner. He says, uh, in fact, when he tells the story of St. Andrews, he says, then in 1997, God did something I'd never expect, but he loved it. And he said his only regret was that he hadn't done it earlier. And of course, he's a Calvinist. Mm. The Calvinist, we can't think like that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that's how much it meant to him. So yeah, he decreed it. it was ordained. And uh, yes, but you know, I remember being shocked when I heard. I'm like, really? He took a church because we always knew him as Legionnaire. You know, he was teaching yeah. the masses. But a mm. lot of people don't really know uh, the the trajectory in ministry. I mean, I think once you dabble a little bit in RC you get to know him pretty well. I mean, oh, you know, you, you get to know that sense of humor. You get to know, uh, like you said, larger than life. You get to know that he loves golf. He doesn't travel. Uh, you know, he, he had travel. You get to know so much about him. You get to know Gerstner was his mentor right off the bat. There's right. so much about him. You, 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 you learn that here was a guy that had to go overseas and study for a PhD in, what was it, like three, four different languages uh, <laughs> that he didn't know. And uh, I, I loved in your biography, and I, I can't wait to talk to you about this because you obviously had access to his notebooks, to his books. You're you're commenting on uh, notations he's making and in books he read. So I can't wait to get into that. But give us a synopsis about Doctor Sproul, who he was, and his impact on the 20th and 21st century Christian world. So, yeah, he was a church planner. He founded uh, St. Andrew's Chapel. It's in existence today. I'm a member there. Um, he also founded Ligonier Ministries. That's what he's most known for. You mentioned it. Ligonier will celebrate 50 years uh, this year, August 1st uh, of 1971. That's a good year for the starting of things. I think Starbucks wow. started, Apple started, <laughs> Disney started, and Ligonier Ministries. Um, wow. 
he also founded the college where I serve as president, Reformation Bible College. But R.C., you know, he, he uh, grew up in a church, but it was a liberal church, went to church every Sunday, sang in the choir, never heard the gospel, goes to college as a freshman, hears the gospel, and is convicted and becomes a Christian. And he had a passion for life. Uh, he was an athlete. He, he was actually in college on an athletic scholarship. Um, he had that athlete's determination, that athlete's passion, and he just turned that towards the pursuit of teaching and proclaiming the gospel. He went to seminary. He went to Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, studied under John Gershner, as you mentioned. And Gershner said, uh, you have to go study with the best for your PhD. And um, R.C. said, okay. And Gershner said, well, that's Amsterdam, and that's man named Garrett, Garrett, as the Dutch would say, Berkheimer. And R.C. said, well, no, you didn't understand me. I said the best in English. <laughs> and uh, Gershner said, no, you got to do the best. So off he goes to the Netherlands. Uh, when he comes back, he, he's a professor and uh, he ends up being a seminary professor. But he says, here he is, 29 years old, seminary professor, top of his game, and he's bored. Meanwhile, he's teaching a Sunday school class. And this is in the suburbs of Philadelphia. These are professionals, lawyers, and white collar workers, you know. And they love it. He's teaching a class on Christology. And the, the more hungry they are for the teaching, well, that just gives him more passion to teach, which just feeds them to be more hungry. And he, he'll tell you, it was at that moment that his vision for Ligonier was born. And really what R.C. ultimately was, was a teacher. He was the consummate teacher. Uh, you talk about how, you know, it doesn't take long before you get to know him uh, because he loved just communicating with people. I, I always felt when he was preaching or if I was listening to him, you almost felt like he was talking directly to you. He just had that ability. Um, and I think it was not only that, I think it was also what he was teaching. And of course, he's known for his classic book, The Holiness of God. Uh, but but R.C. was very concerned that whether people were in culture or in the church, they just they, they weren't always thinking well or rightly about who God is. Uh, they tended to think more about who they wanted God to be rather than who God declared himself to be. And so he labored uh, just nonstop uh, to diligently. Uh, to teach people who God is. That's ultimately what R.C. stood for. That's so amazing. You know, it's funny because you mentioned his books. Um, for those of you that don't know, Ligonier has an extensive video and audio library. They had a magazine called Table Talk. Um, you can still, um, they, they even created Pathrite, which is actually where I build my courses to train planners is on the Ligonier platform known as Pathrite. I mean, this is a comprehensive ministry. And, and when, when it started, it was like the Labrie, uh, center where they, I remember at one point you mentioned like 18,000 people coming through this thing. Uh, I think I can't remember if it was in a month or a year, but I was I was pretty blown away by the numbers. But but RC had this passion to just train and equip uh, the simple layman with deep theological chops. And the books, I mean, I can remember coming across Chosen by God. 
Um, <clears throat> the holiness of God. The holiness of God to this day is still my favorite series that mm-hmm. he ever did. Uh, the insanity of Luther. Holy right. cow. That, if if you need to get a hold of my, you talk about that, where he just, obviously, Luther was a hero to R.C., and you bring that out in the book really well. But um, but we're talking a prolific teaching ministry in a time where it was not cool to be a Calvinist. <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he, yeah, you pick up on that. He he talks about it, it was sort of a it was a, a voice in the wilderness back then. It was it's called Ligonier because in the Ligonier Valley, which is in western Pennsylvania, hour outside of Pittsburgh, literally in the mountains. I mean, total rural can't you can hardly find the place. Um, starts the study center and people went there for discipleship. He said, this is a place where people are going to come for answers. And he wants to give them solid answers to their questions, but it was, it was very rigorous discipleship, but it was aimed primarily at laity and nobody was doing this. Uh, Then in the mid 1970s, he uses this pioneering technology of the video cassette recorder to put his teaching on videotapes. And to show you what was going on here, churches had no idea what to do with these things, these videotapes. So Ligonier would actually have to supply churches with tape players so that they could watch the video cassettes of the teaching. Um, So it was always an interest in teaching and was always an interest in sort of distributing that teaching and and even leveraging technology, uh, you know, to get that teaching out there. But but ultimately, he just saw this vast uh, land, uh, this vast horizon of laity that just uh, needed solid teaching. And that's, that's what he had to offer. That's good. You know, um, it, a couple things. Um, uh, when my wife and I were dating, I mean, I know this is not like known as the most romantic step for a couple to take. We both were talking and we said, you know, and in conversation came up, I said, you know, I don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit. I'd, I'd like to learn more. And my wife said, me too. I was just thinking that. We were dating and RC had a book called The Mystery of the Holy Spirit sitting on my shelf. And I said, well, why don't we go through that? No joke. Uh, we would sit uh, every Sunday night. And we would go through a chapter of that together and talk about it. So again, not the most, but you know, RC helped me romance my girl a bit. So, you know, I'm a little indebted to that. I'm sure there's many similar testimonies. I dated my wife on chosen by God, but, (laughs) but, you know, I heard a story, you know, as, as people, as you write the book, people want to tell you their stories. And I, I did have someone tell me that, that they had read Dr. Scrolls. It was an early book. He wrote intimate marriage and, after reading that book, he was sort of on the fence. You know, do I, I might just stay single for the cause of Christ, you know, but he had a girlfriend. And so he reads this book. He's like, that's it. I'm going to marry her. I'm going to go, I'm going to go propose to her right now. Uh, so there you go. The power well, of the page. You, you bring out that there was only ever Vesta. I mean, this was his soulmate from childhood. Talk to us a little bit about RC as a family man and as a husband, because I think, Everybody in ministry, it was surely something that affected me in the book. Um, I think a lot of us look towards leaders that are, you know, that they're available to their family. They're there for their their kids. Um, tell us a little bit about RC as a family man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, this was what I loved about writing the book. As you get into the story of RC, you realize very quickly this is a love story. And 
there's there's examples and they get all the attention of the you know the unfaithfulness uh but here's an example of just faithfulness in marriage um rc met vesta when he was in the first grade and she was in the second grade and he says he was they were running around the elementary school and he ran into her <laughs> and um he says uh i knew i was going to marry that girl she says i don't even remember it <laughs> so but they did start dating. Um, he invited her to Kennywood, which was the amusement park outside of Pittsburgh. And she says, sure, I'll go with you. Not thinking that he wouldn't follow through with it. But sure enough, you know, he shows up at her door, takes her to Kennywood, and they sort of dated on and off through high school. And then um, through college, they got engaged and married she was a year ahead of him. So, so he got married before his senior year of college and she had just graduated and it always was RC and Vesta. Uh, I have this friend up in where I used to live up in Lancaster and they had a kid who thought RC's name was actually RC and Vesta because he always heard RC referred to as RC and Vesta. So he thought no that way. was one person. Um, but I love that story. And, um, yeah, just a wonderful relationship. Uh, it's interesting talking to Sherry, this is RC's daughter. She said, you know, to me, he was always just dad. And I've always, all these people would say, oh, what was it like having RC Sproul as your father? It must have been great. She goes, I just, I just remember him being dad. Right. And this was a busy guy. He's running a ministry. He's teaching full time at a seminary. He's writing, you know, great books, a couple every year. He's doing all this daily teaching. Um, and Sherry says, I, I never felt like he didn't have time for me. And if there was something I needed, I knew I could just go right to my dad. Um, so that was that was a very sweet uh, side of the story. But yeah, definitely, it's a love story, um, the story of R.C. Investor. That's really cool. You know, looking over his impact, I mean... There was definitely his work at Legionnaire, the the vast library of teaching on um, theology and, I mean, anything, church history, theology, apologetics. But I'm I'm jumping the gun a bit because there's just the teaching. It it was like if you didn't go to seminary, you had R.C., you know, he, he was at a higher level when, when you, when I read that book with my wife on the Holy Spirit, uh, we were getting into creeds. You know, and councils, and I, I remember going, "Oh wow, this is a lot deeper than than I thought. This is a little more a highbrow than than I was expecting to go through with 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 my girl." But then, in the next, you know, the next field, theology, he really did. I, I wouldn't say pioneer theology in this in the in the sense that you think of that, but he pioneered it in America for sure. Um, I think that. Uh, there was this, they talk about the, the reform resurgence. Right. And, and I've got to think that that is largely due to RC's influence. I, I don't know that if there had not been an RC in America, that there would have been a resurgence, the young uh, reformed and restless. Right. Um, right. And then, <clears throat> uh, and then his work in inerrancy, hmm. um, you know, and you bring out the point because I, you know, I was on a page 154, read it, read it cover to cover, but on page 154, I stopped because I, as you were chronicling, I'm like, what was his greatest? He's right. What 
he's got all these different areas. Um, there's his work in apologetics. And I, and, and, and at the final chapter, you really summarize his legacy and it's mm-hmm. robust. And I, I've, I felt like as I was going through there, I love the statement you made. Um, you said, what was his greatest contribution to the church? You go, I suppose it depends on which decade you're talking about. <laughs> and, and, and as you, as you put that together, because sometimes a biographer will formulate, you know, and draw conclusions and analyze. And I thought, wow, that is, that is clever. That is so true. Um, I, I shared with you that the first thing we went through in the nineties in a men's group, the way I was exposed was our pastor said, Hey, we're going to go through this knowing scripture. And we mm-hmm. got hooked. That was, he published that book in 1977. I don't right. know when he made the video series, but we went through the videos or it might've been audio and we were hooked. Like, we're like, we need to, I, I don't know that we ever got off legionary resources from that point on, but I watched men that were pouring concrete in the day, yeah. uh, you know, working construction. I watched these men that nobody would have ever thought just come alive in their walks with God. And, mm-hmm. um, but, but the question is looking back being, uh, you know, somewhat of an expert now on RC Sproul, I, I guess, I mean, you write a biography, you get to be an expert on him. Um, in, in a, in a well-written biography, um, what stands out to you about RC's contribution in, in all those fields over the years? What are the things that stand out to, to Dr. Stephen Nichols when you think RC Sproul? Yeah, I think it's both a little bit of the method and a little bit of the message. So I think the method, the piece that stands out the most is he was a populist. I mean, just as you're saying, you know, the range of people. I saw this at Ligonier conferences. We have we have a Ligonier conference, and there's a there's a specialist from the Mayo Clinic, and there's a guy who's a truck driver, long long haul truck driver, and they're both just eating up this teaching. and And I think it's because RC just took the message to the people. He saw this in the reformers, uh, his beloved reformers, his heroes. They took the message to the people. Uh, so he was a populist and a brilliant communicator. But as far as the message that he communicated, the, the main emphasis is the holiness of God. It's Ligonier's mission. Ligonier exists to proclaim, teach, and defend the holiness of God in all of its fullness to as many people as possible. Well, that's R.C. Uh, I think his classic book, The Holiness of God, that, that's going to stand the test of time. He said he labored under this idea of just teaching people who God is. So I think that is the the main contribution of his message. But as you sift through it, there were really quite a few contributions. The first was inerrancy. This is from the 70s. He's a young man then, you know, in in terms of theologians, theologianeers. He's a young man. And he's he's right at the center of what comes to be called the Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy. This was a really crucial document. I almost think it was a miracle. Uh, You had about 400 evangelical theologians in a room agreeing on theology. I mean, come on, this is a miraculous moment. Uh, And, you know, he had J.I. Packer was there. Jim Boyce was there. Just really uh, this constellation of folks and in the midst of it was R.C. and his contribution. And you think how important that is, you know, the authoritative scripture. Uh, you come into his, his uh, emphasis on apologetics and what a brilliant mind he was. And, you know, he, he corresponded with Carl Sagan. 
So, so there you go. Yeah. Um, you bring that out in the book. I love that part because I think not a chance yes. is probably one of his best works. Like yeah. I, when people talk to me, I, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's it's a book really about like the probability uh, of of anything happening. It's an impossibility for everything to just appear on its own. Not only is there a, a, a philosophical issue with that, there's a scientific issue with that, but there's also a statistical issue uh, of probability with that. And of course, what a lot of people don't realize is that. Um, RC was a philosophy major as well as a right. theology scholar. So you had this mixing and blending where he could cross into both, which, and I don't know if this was meant this way. I think it was, I think it was sarcastic and tongue in cheek, but in regards to the Carl Sagan, you bring <laughs> RC makes the comment. Um, oh, I, I've always been a fan of Dr. Sagan's work. I'm delighted to see him branch out into, into fiction. And, and, and I'm like, that, that has to be the best backhanded compliment I've ever read. It was so funny, but you didn't point out like, oh, this was by the way, sarcastic, but um, I, I, I love that because it was so funny because he did truly admire him. He did appreciate his work, but now you've branched into fiction, Carl Sagan. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, it's interesting. The, the correspondence just ended. You know, and, and it was because RC just kept pushing him. We'll, we'll just go back to the beginning. We'll just go back before the Big Bang. We'll just, and Carl Sagan really didn't have an answer. And and Carl Sagan just dropped it. But you could say apologetics was clearly an emphasis. Uh, and then, of course, the holiness of God, which we've been talking about. And then the other thing, and I, I'm trying to trace this through. You know, we all know the solas. We, we love to talk about the Reformation through the lens of the solas. I really think it was R.C. that popularized that. It was the very first thing he published was a journal article on the solas uh, back in the 1960s, back when he was Robert C. Sproul, before he was R.C. Sproul. Um, but what a helpful way to summarize what the Reformation was about, which is a way to say what the gospel is about in sola fide, sola gratia, solus Christus. And I think really he more than any person helped popularize that construct as a very helpful tool to understand what is the essence of the Bible's teaching of the gospel. Uh, so those are all emphases of, uh, of Dr. Well, that brings us into, you know, obviously if you're a fan of Spurgeon um, and, and you bring, you bring up a point where RC Sproul mentioned um you know, that, that you have these certain leaders that are given to the church. They're, they're special, they're unique. Um, and, and Sproul counted Spurgeon among them, Whitfield among them. You bring this out. And then uh, you later on, when it came to St. Andrews, um, his church plant in Orlando, they were looking forward to, okay, eventually RC's not going to be around. And they made a really potent statement where they said, you know, R.C. is unique. We can't quite replace him. He was given as a gift to the church, which I wholeheartedly agree. Um, we're, we've mentioned apologetics. An atheist close to me uh, said to me once in, in a conversation about the existence of God, we we're having a little bit of a, a, a debate. And he said, R.C. Sproul is the best mind that Christianity has had in the last hundred years. 
and he said, he is, he is your best. And he, and he confessed, he said, sometimes if he's on the radio, I'll listen to him. And I, yeah. I'm not a Christian, but I'll listen to him because he's just that good and he makes a lot of sense and he gets me to think. Um, but as, as we look like, like all men like Spurgeon, who experienced the downgrade controversy where within the Baptist uh, denomination, it wasn't so much what was being said. It was, it was what was not being said um, mm-hmm. that concerned mm-hmm. Spurgeon. It was what was being cut out of the gospel. It's, it's Lloyd Jones talking about propitiation being something that's, that's disappeared. The wrath of God poured out on Jesus for, for our sins. Um, those things that, that started to get watered down. Now, RC made quite a stand. And I remember because I was a Table Talk subscriber, I remember the um, evangelicals and Catholics together, little little bit of controversy where RC yeah. had to make a painful and difficult uh, stand in, in some decisions. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. It was a sad chapter. And RC, you know, Vesta talks about this. This, this was the saddest moment in RC's life. So this is early 90s, and this was a document called the Evangelicals and Catholics Together. It was written mostly by Chuck Colson, representing the evangelical side, and John Richard Niehaus on the Catholic side. Niehaus was a former Lutheran who converted to Catholicism and was very much engaged, as many Catholics are, in Washington, D.C., the whole natural law theory and this was a time, you know, Francis Schaeffer wrote of this, of co-belligerence, where evangelicals and Catholics had common issues, abortion, for instance, and um, could could come together. Well, ECT is a little bit more than that. It, it, it ended up uh, sort of, as RC understood it, and I think as many understood it, it sort of ended up setting aside crucial differences over the gospel. And speaking that we are together as brothers and sisters in Christ, even though there are these differences on specifically the doctrine of justification, and you're talking about it's what you're not saying, right? Specifically, imputation. And is is my righteousness something that's a cooperative result as I work with the grace that Christ gives me? Or is my righteousness entirely alien? you know, outside of me that is Christ given to me. And we talk about this in terms of imputation versus infusion. Okay, so that's the theological issue. It's a divisive issue. It, it, it was the issue of the Reformation. It's still the issue that divides. I was uh, going to say it's always an issue that Reformed people have had. My, my One of my mentors uh, used to say imputation versus impartation. There's the imparted righteousness, yeah, which is sanctification, and the imputed righteousness, which is justification. And people confuse them. Yeah, they do. And they and they often have that category confusion of sanctification and salvation. And it's it's very problematic unless you're clear. And that was R.C. He always wanted to bring clarity to the theological conversation. Well, he hears about this ECT, and um, he also is friends with J.I. Packer. And Packer is also one of the folks that signed on the ECT. Well, as R.C. looked at it, he just thought this was not helpful, did not bring clarity, and it ended up severing the friendship, the relationship, the long-time relationship he had with Chuck that went back to the mid-70s, and the relationship that went back to the same time with J.I. Packer. 
they were they were like foxhole buddies, uh, Packer and RC. But they they divided on that. RC said uh, that you know he would say to Packer, justification is essential to the gospel. And Packer would say justification is central to the gospel. And R.C. would say, no, it's essential to the gospel. Um, but it was also just a, a difference over uh, imputation. And again, I do think history will show that R.C. was on yeah. the right side of that. Um, but it was costly. It was not something he took pleasure in. Um, but I think it was driven by his desire to bring clarity where clarity was needed. Yeah, I think I think it comes back to you know the whole um, Galatian controversy again. Yes, you know, I, I, I've often thought that many of us would have been, oh, Paul, what what's the big deal? I mean, they, they they're following Jesus. What, what what are you upset about? Like, who cares if they get circumcised? And Paul's thinking, no, this changes everything. I don't even know if they're saved. You know, he says, I have my doubts concerning you. Like those are fighting words, you know? And, and, and I think, as you said, church history, even though I, I know it, it irritates believers that, that people split theological hairs, quote unquote. Um, but the erosion of truth is real and hmm. it takes a bold leader to stand. And, and you mentioned that RC was a populist and he was, and yet, he actually took stands on things that he knew would cost him. And I think for me, looking back on that, I think it's a challenge to our age. I think it's a challenge to younger leaders. I think we each are given that responsibility as, as Paul passes that gospel torch in second Timothy and tells him, you have to stand for this, Timothy, you have to guard the gospel that was entrusted to you. And RC did that in his generation and his time and he'll receive his reward. And my hope is that those who are are have learned from him because I'll be honest Dr. Nichols reading this book actually infused me with a little bit of okay this is serious like mm. we have like it did something to me on the inside it it renewed some of my passion for yeah we can't budge we can't budge on the gospel at all you know, I, I so appreciate hearing this. When when I first talked to RC about the idea of the biography, um, first of all, I wasn't very clear the first time I, I was telling him I wanted to do the biography. And I, I just said to him, Dr. Spoa, I'm thinking about, you know, I just want to ask you a question. I just want to know what you think about it, but I, I'd like to write a biography. And he's like, great. Who on who? <laughs> and I said, well, well, you, of course. That's <laughs> because, so rad. <laughs> yes, we're at we're at dinner at as his favorite restaurant at the time. You can set your watch by you knew like I knew if people came to town say, Oh, I want to see RC, like, okay, he'll be at this restaurant at five o'clock PM. Trust me, he'll walk in. Anyway, so we're at dinner and, and he goes, uh, I said, of you. And he goes, On me? Nobody wants to read about me. Um, and I said, Well, you might be surprised. But but the gist of it was uh let's talk about what you stood for. It's not just let's celebrate the life of RC, but let's celebrate what RC stood for because I do think he stood for those things that matter. And he stood for those things that are, I want to say are sort of the shibboleth of 
that orthodox, that, that deposit of faith that you were talking about, that, that, is, that is handed down from one generation to another and is treasured and is guarded, uh, some of the language Paul uses. Um, and I think it does have to do with the doctrine of Scripture, the doctrine of God, and the doctrine of the person and work of Christ, which is to say the gospel. I mean, that really gets at the heart of what matters. And um, I, I do hope that not only do people learn about that from him, but they get a little steel in their spine that these doctrines, standing up for these doctrines matter. And I honestly think that's what he loved about the reformers. It wasn't just that they held these doctrines. It was the boldness and the courage, the conviction. Uh, with yeah. These doctrines. It's so good. You know, um, one of the things that, that I would encourage you guys, we've talked about some of the teachings. Um, I would also encourage you to listen to a, a radical, I mean, it was mind-blowing series called The Consequence of Ideas, which you deal with a bit in the book. Um, the one that I have not gone to that he, uh, you mentioned him considering one of his, like, you know, kind of real milestone important works was from dust to glory. So uh, I I was, I was chastised and rebuked by that, but that is one um, I work for an app called through the word that that, uh, just does a little eight, nine minute expositions of each chapter of the Bible aimed primarily at youth. But um, I was like, man, I need to go through uh, from dust to glory because there is a very similar Bible overview in that series. And I thought, man, I, I, I really need, to, to go. I'm, I'm interested. So I will be going through that um, in the near future, but also <clears throat> wanted to ask you, you had, um, you had a, um, you had access and I, this might be my last question, but you had access to obviously, I mean, there's times I'm like, okay, he knows things. He's either got access to his library or someone has given him his notebooks, his personal effects. Walk me through that because you, yeah. you, you knew, uh, tell me about that. And how much did you geek out on that? I don't know how to ask that question professionally. I just, let's just drop it. How did you geek out on that? Cause that must've been incredible. What kind of access did you have? What was it like? What did you discover? Well, Vesta was very kind to me and uh, gave me full access to his his own books that were his library, his notebooks from his college days, seminary days, early teaching moments there at Ligonier as he put together his lectures. Um, and before he died, he and I also sat uh, for a number of biography sessions, which were just wonderful times. I mean, truly precious memories for me. But I was interested in the RC, you know, behind the RC we know. Uh, the R.C. Sproul before he was R.C. Sproul, when he was the student, uh, when he was faithful at the desk, when he was there for 10, 12 hours a day, pouring himself into the books, uh, because I wanted to see what shaped him and what formed him. So I had, tr- I had great access. He was a very active writer. He would uh, underline, highlight, he'd write in the margins. So, you know, I had access to that. And it wasn't only just reading the books that he read, but I was reading the actual copies that he read. And I love that. And I tried to bring a little bit of that out uh, in the book itself. Um, And then these notebooks were just wonderful. It was in the notebook that I found this line uh, where he talks about that we need an evangelical summit on the doctrine of inerrancy. And he writes, we might fail, but we must try. 
Well, he's talking about the, the International Council on Biblical Inerrancy in the Chicago Statement. And, uh, you know, here's this statement uh, that we must have a summit. And even if we fail, you know, we have an obligation. So, Man so in his young 20s getting ready to take on the world. That's pretty yeah, rad. Yeah, R.C. Sproul, Contramundum. I love it. Uh, so, so as a biographer, this is just a dream come true, you know, to be able to have access to the person. And then also to be able to go back and see some of those sources that fed into the person and retrace his steps. Uh, it was just, yeah, I think I mentioned this, Tino, before we got started on this. I just said so much. I didn't want the book to end, you know, the writing of it. I'm like, this is great. I don't want to leave this. I was, I was talking about geeking out. You know, I was just surrounded by all his, his books and memorabilia and his notebooks and letters. And I was having fun. Yeah, it's very obvious. And I think every time you write a good book, you earn the right to publish another. I think that's kind of how it works. Um, sometimes publishers look at, at book sales and other times they look at talent. Um, I hope you write another biography. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I would I would relish and read a Gerstner biography. So maybe, maybe that's next. But um, wanted to um, just really thank you for uh, writing this. I'm going to mention something that I threw out on Facebook that came out of your book. And that was that R.C. Sproul not only golfed with Alice Cooper, but <laughs> he also was thanked in the liner notes of a Van Halen album. Isn't that great? God, it's amazing. And not surprising, though, once you, you get R.C. Sproul's personality. I loved how when he was writing books, he had four lockers at the country club and he would talk sometimes. He'd be like, all I need is a constant supply of iced tea. I remember those little tidbits because I became a, a published writer eventually. And so these things back when I used to dream and think of writing, he made it sound so easy. But I also love that you had in the book, you talk about note, notebook entries of him not only talking about the link between natural theology and biblical revelation that that so that people could could intelligent intelligently talk uh, and interact with people in the scientific community. I love that. But also at times you would have where he had put together a whole outline for a for a series that later became a reality. So um, this has been a joy to read. The author has been Dr. Stephen J. Nichols. The book has been R.C. Sproul, A Life. He represents Legionnaire Ministries, and he's also the weekly the host of the weekly podcast Five Minutes in Church History. He's the editor of the Theologians on the Christian Life series. And if people want to catch up with you or find you, is there a website or somewhere that they can go to find out more about what you do? Uh, probably best is just Ligonier. So Ligonier.org. And you can go from there. All right. And the book, again, is offered from Crossway. So any anywhere that you find Crossway books, you can go to Crossway.org. And again, one more time, the book is R.C. Sproul Life, Stephen J. Nichols. Thanks for being on the show. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. 